Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It is good to see everyone this morning. Welcome on this uh, very, very warm summer Sunday that the Lord has given us this morning. I hope you all had a good week this week. Um, you made a comment during the first service. We had we had small groups this week, but they were very short uh, because uh, tornadoes. So um, this week we get to kind of be doubly prepared, which I think is pretty cool. So we'll be ready for that. Let's all stand to our feet as we prepare our hearts for worship. The uh, the message today, um, God really spoke to me, and I hope he speaks to you too in the second service. Um, it's, it's powerful. So uh, God is good, so let's worship him. Here we go. no greater truth than this. There is no stronger love we know. God himself comes down to live. It makes the sinner's heart his throne. There is no deeper peace than this. No other kindness can compare. He clothes us in His righteousness, forever free, forever air. Oh, praise the only one who shines brighter than ten thousand suns. Death and hell call Him victorious. Saints, 
We once were lost, but now we're found. One with Him, we bear His name. Oh, praise the only one who shines brighter than 10,000 suns. Death and hell call Him victorious. Praise Him. Oh, praise the one true King. Lift it loud till earth and heaven ring. Every crown we lay down at His feet. Praise Him. Praise Him. Praise Him.
God, we wait. You're coming soon. So we wait. We wait for you. God, we wait. You're coming Once and for all, once and for all, you offered up your life. For one and all, for one and all, the perfect sacrifice. Atoning blood was shed, love conquered when you said, It is finished, it is salvation comes hallelujah we're alive hell was silence when you cried it is finished it is finished who is this king who is this king so mighty and so strong the one, he is the one the earth has waited for. God's remedy for sin, with mercy for all men. It is finished, it is done, to the world salvation Shook and trembled, the sun bowed its head. 
The veil of the temple was open for man as Jesus went down in the cold of the grave. Defeated the darkness when he overcame. The keys of the kingdom were placed into hands of children, of priests, and of fishers of men. Through all generations, his voice will be heard. Creation resounds the victorious word. comes hallelujah we're alive power silence when you cry it is finished it is done now completed the work of love hallelujah he's alive join the song of the ransom Father, we are so grateful for who you are and what you've done for us. Your son, Jesus Christ. That when he breathed his last breath on this earth and resurrected again, we know that he defeated death, defeated sin once and for all. And that those of us who have accepted that sacrifice for ourselves acknowledge that Jesus was who he said he was and is who he says he is. That one way, one day we will stand before you in paradise as children of God. So Father, as we open your word to today, as a church body, I pray. That on this side of heaven, we will remember the importance of community. That under the banner of Jesus Christ, every tribe, nation, and people will come to call you Lord. And God, you put this small body of believers together here in Harvest, Alabama. We may not represent every tribe, nation, and people. But we are still unique in our own ways that we bring to the table. And you have equipped us all to serve this community. God, I'm reminded this morning of the global nature of this community. And that there are brothers and sisters who are worshiping in secret today for fear of their lives. God, I just pray that we would remember those people in our prayers this week. The prayer is a weapon in the hand of a believer who truly believes that you will do what you say you, you promise. So we lift up those people in those faraway places that fear for their lives today because of their faith in Jesus Christ. 
Father, as we open your word today, help us to remember the sacrifice you made and how we can all come together as one body, unified through Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would speak to us today, open our ears and our hearts to your truth. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. have a see good morning church uh thank you for joining us for worship today um if you're new here i pray that you felt welcome so far and uh, we want to say uh we're so thankful that you're here in the back of the seat in front of you is what we call our connect card you can grab that card fill it out and if you'll stop it by our next steps desk in the lobby they'll actually hook you up with some information about our church but also your very own Lindsay Lane East t-shirt being modeled by some of our folks right here, here at church. Okay, you can look around. I won't point them out because that'll make them mad. So this morning, we're continuing this study that we're calling Follow What It Means to Be a Disciple. This is week three of four, which means as, this, as I started this service, we're over the hump. Right? This is week three of four, so we're now over halfway through this study. So you guys, we've almost done this. This is awesome. If you've missed the last two, you can always catch our sermons um, and our whole services, really, on YouTube and Facebook. Um, and you can also find those on our website, lindsaylanese.org. Uh, but the good news is, if you walked in today and you haven't been here the last two weeks, you're still good. Because today's just going to be its own sermon as well. And it's just going to be a lot of fun. If you've ever taken a job... More than likely, you were given some sort of uh, employee manual or a job description, or you were at least told, here's some expectations. Uh, you were told what the job was going to look like. Nobody, uh, nobody, most people, maybe there are some situations, but most people don't get a new job and then go back to their old job in the exact same day. Um, you have a new one with new expectations and new experiences to be had, but I believe it's a sad thing because I've seen it, and I've seen it in my own life in some ways. This is what we do as Christians. We commit our lives to follow Jesus, taking on this new adventure and expectation, yet we find ourselves going back to work for our old boss, sin, in our lives. And so what we're trying to do, uh, I found myself way too often there. Instead of striving towards the job description that God has laid out for us as Christians, I've gone back to live under my old way. Paul talked about that. Um, but I believe for me, many times, especially early on in my walk, this happened because I didn't understand what God had asked of us. I didn't understand what was on the job description. And so to, this what this study is about, is helping you recognize what it looks like to follow Jesus, um, helping you understand what it really means. And so we're going to look at, we've been looking at four clear moments when Jesus says, my disciples do these things. Today we're going to be in John chapter 13. Go on and turn there if you've got a Bible. Um, it's here that we're going to see Jesus bring even more clarity uh, to what it means to be a disciple. Uh, so let me read this for us. I'll pray, and then we'll come back and start looking at this in depth, okay? This is John 13. We're going to be there a bunch, so even if you're still flipping, it'll be okay. Verse 34. I, Jesus, give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, um, for your word. We thank you uh, that we can absolutely trust it, God. We know that the inspired words, uh, these words that were inspired so long ago, God, um, remain to be inspired to the point that, God, we can come to your word and, God, we can, we can have an expectation that you will speak. And so, Father, I pray that today, as we read your word, as we talk about it, we discuss it, God, I pray that you speak to the hearts of your people. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Week one, week one, we looked at, uh, essentially, we looked at Jesus' statement that said, my disciples look like me, right? The very basic tenet of discipleship is, if you're going to be a disciple, you've got to look like the one you're following. That's in the definition itself of discipleship. It means to be a learner. So that was week one. The question we kind of left with that day was, how do we do that? Well, guess what we did? Week two, we started talking about that. Jesus said, my disciples continue in my word. That was the term that Jesus used. Um, believers are, are, are to hold to and remain in God's word. And what we talked about on Wednesday night for the 15 people that survived the tornado with us, um, we still had some, we had some people that hung around uh, through the tornadoes and actually went back to, to Bible study. But uh, what we talked about was that radical obedience is the way in which we begin to look like Jesus. And throughout Christian history, what a lot of people have done, and, and there have all been sects of Christianity that have done this, they've stopped there. That radical, that, that continuing God's word, what it looks like to be a disciple is, is radical sacrifice, radical obedience at all costs. And the, the ultimate goal for them was doing the right things and not doing the wrong things. It was about controlling the thoughts and feelings of your heart and mind. And so that led, and not that any of those things are wrong, but what it led to was some believers isolating themselves from culture and from other people and living a life in total isolation to the point just to try to get themselves under control and to live as purely as possible. The problem is that isolation, living in isolation as a believer, ignores a huge section of the commands of the New Testament that are one another's. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Build one another up. Love one another. Jesus said it three times in the two verses. And as always, so you can't one another by yourself. So the 51 some odd uh, one another's in the New Testament, we, we, when we live a life of isolation, we, we ignore those things. And so this, I'm going to use air quotes because you'll see why here in a second. This new command that Jesus gives helps his followers know that to also to follow me means interacting with other people in this way. And so we're going to walk through this. Um, it's actually two sermons for the price of one today. So you won't find a better deal. McDonald's thinks they run good deals. This is the real deal right here. Two sermons in the price of one. Here's what I mean by that. Today we're going to, we're going to take a Bible study approach to this, these two verses. And we're going to look at it during three different contexts. So we're going to do that, but I'm also helping us learn how do we study the Bible. So we're going to do that. So it'll be kind of two different Anyway, it'll make sense as we go through, all right? So we're going to look at this, these two verses in three different contexts to help us understand what's going on. The first thing is maybe somewhat humorous. Uh, point number one, the new command was actually really old. Uh, so Jesus presents them with this, what he calls a new command. And as he says it, Jesus' disciples, who were all Jewish young men, had to be going, I feel like I've heard this before. 
Like, I don't think this is as new as you think it is. Jesus is a rabbi, which means he's a Jewish teacher, which means that he would be steeped and knowledgeable in the Old Testament text, the Hebrew Bible. What that also, he was talking to young Jewish boys. Now, they were not learned Jewish boys who had been trained up in the text, but they knew the first five books, and they knew what was in them, and they would have known that in, in uh, in the first five books of the Bible, what they would have called the Torah, uh, written by um, written by Moses, Leviticus nineteen eighteen says, "Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but what love your neighbors yourself." You see, Jesus didn't invent the idea for God's people to be loving, and so when we're studying the Bible well, the first thing we want to do is look at biblical context, biblical context. So this is that other, this is the other side of the sermon right here. Okay, don't just open your Bible. Read a verse and go, oh, here's how that applies to my life. Slam it shut and go on about your day. What you're missing in that moment is asking the question, how does this verse fit in with everything else on either side of it? And so that's what we need to do when we, when we look at this verse. And so when we do that, we realize Jesus sounds like a crazy person. And I think he's okay with me saying that, I hope. He sounds crazy. He just said, here's a new command. And they're going, no, it's not. God already told us to love one another. He's already said that multiple times in the Old Testament. And I think even today, some people have the idea that the Old Testament is all about God's like vengeance. It's this powerful God who's a little bit distant, and he's not loving at all, like he just strikes people down. And he's a warring God, and, he, and he, it's, that's what people think, blood, gore, that's what God's about. And then the New Testament. You get this blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus who's holding sheep all the time and petting them. Right? Like that's the image, this loving. But that's not the case. What we see when we look at the text is from beginning to end, the call has always been for God's people to love one another. From the very beginning all the way to the very end, Old Testament and New Testament, Jesus didn't invent the idea. Whether it was the Jewish people of the Old Testament or even the multi-ethnic church of the first century, God's command is to love. To love. The second thing to notice here, this is not actually, the, the new command was actually old. Number two, the new command was actually scary. The new command was actually scary. So how can it be scary to be told to love one another? Well, I believe there are two reasons, and we're going to learn this, these two reasons, from literary context. When you are studying the Bible, one very often forgotten skill is one that you learned in second and third grade. You started learning it. Reading comprehension. Like just reading and understanding what the Bible says. Understanding the context that's going around, going on immediately around the text. We kind of did this whole biblical context. Now we're zoning in and we're asking, okay, what's going on around the text? I'll give you an example of why this is dangerous. I remember watching the first Lord of the Rings movie. Any Lord of the Rings fans? Book or movie? I'm a movie fan. Books are way too long. However, um, I remember the first time I watched it. I was at a buddy's house. We had rented it on VHS. You guys remember what a VHS is? Those big honky plastic things with the tape in them. So we had rented it. It was on two VHSs. You had to swap it out halfway through Um, because it was three hours long. And what I remember is, uh, and again, this is going to sound weird and nerdy. If you you never watched the movie, I encourage you to watch it. Um, It's really interesting. 
but we also rented it from Movie Gallery. You familiar with Movie Gallery? You remember what those were? You could go in and rent movies. Anyway, that was the thing. As I was writing the sermon, I thought, I am old. Like, this is stuff that people in high school don't even know what Movie Gallery is and VHS are. Like, I don't even, this is, uh, anyway, just think Netflix. If you're under 20, just think Netflix. That's what we're talking about here, okay? Uh, this is on Netflix. But when we were watching it at Buddy's house, I was really, really tired. And this will only make sense if you've seen it. I was, I fell asleep when they were still in the shire. Okay? Not the shower if you've never seen it. The shire, S-H-I-R-E. So all I knew were the hobbits. Okay? I think the wizard, I think Gandalf had come into the picture at this point. But I, I had a very, so then I fell asleep. When I woke up, these two characters that I was very familiar with, Frodo and Bilbo, not Frodo, Frodo and uh, Sam. Frodo and Sam are on this trek. Now, what I missed was, I missed uh, Frodo getting the ring from Bilbo. I missed the gathering of the fellowship. When I woke up, I distinctly remember Frodo and Sam, the wizard who I couldn't remember his name. Um, they have been joined by two arrogant men. Um, they seemed pretty arrogant at the time. A tiny bearded fellow with an axe and a long blonde-haired chick riding a horse whose name was Legolas, who was actually a dude. If you've seen the movie, you're the ones that are laughing. So the problem was I was trying to make sense of a story that I had missed the context on. I woke up in the middle of it, and I couldn't, I couldn't figure out even that the elf was a guy, not a girl. It was on VHS again. It was bad quality. I was missing some context. In the same way, when you and I study Scripture and, and we just open up to a particular place in the Bible and we read it and we don't read on either side of it, we're doing ourselves an injustice and we can oftentimes miss the point of what's actually going on. And what I hope to show you today is that no matter how many times you've read John 13, 34 through 35, and you've read that command, I'm going to show you today that why context is so important because it's going to, you're going to open your eyes today, not in a creepy, mystical way, but the Holy Spirit's going to open your eyes today to something you didn't understand. The first reason why this is scary comes with the little phrase Jesus said. In the, where is it? In the, put that verse back up there. Uh, you don't have it. Verses 34 and 35. He says, just as I have loved you, so love one another. That is intense. His disciples, Jesus' disciples were to love as Jesus had loved them. And so my question that I'm going to ask you, open-ended question. If you're in first service, you already know the answer. Don't answer. How has Jesus shown his love for his disciples? You can answer out loud. Seriously, there's not a wrong answer here. What? Somebody first. He spent time with them. That's good. He washed their feet. He taught them forgiveness, met their needs. Yeah, so what's interesting is by the, y'all didn't do what I did. The first thing I thought about, just as I have loved you, I'm like, Jesus died on the cross. Like that's the way he showed his love, is that he died on the cross for them. But this is John 13. He ain't dead yet. In fact, his disciples haven't even yet grasped the idea that he's going to die. And so when Jesus says, just as I have loved you, He's not yet talking about the cross. However, Jesus has just done something really cool for his disciples in John 13. 
And if you and I just open up to 34 and 35 and we don't read the rest of it, we're going to miss it. Let me read this to you, John 13, 1 through 5. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now when it was time for, dis, uh, for supper, the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So, important word, because of that, he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing. He took a towel and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. Jesus' disciples are blown away by this act of love. Aside from the cross, arguably the biggest act of love that Jesus models for his disciples. Because I'm going to be straight with you. It's a nasty thing to wash people's feet. I don't like washing my kids' feet after, like, going to the ball field. You know that just nasty... That like you got to let it all drain out of the tub, you know what I'm talking about? Like it's you got to just stand up and let all that drain out before we actually wash, because that's gross. That's the kind of stuff. And now, okay, that's that's bad enough today. I certainly don't want to wash y'all's feet. I don't even want washing my own kids' feet, let alone your feet. And then we got to go back 2,000 years when we had dirt roads and animals on the road. Details? You need details? We need a picture or something? Okay, you get what I'm saying. There were animals on the road. There's stuff on your feet. It's nastier than what you're going to pick up at a ballpark. And Jesus washed their feet. It was not befitting of a rabbi to do this. Jesus was the last one in the room who should have been in line to wash the feet. If feet needed washing, that has probably started with Judas. If they knew what was going on in his heart. Let's make that guy wash the feet. But it's not the least. It's actually the greatest in the room that takes on the towel. Jesus was the first. He should have been the last one to put the towel on, but instead he's the first. And this seems to be exactly what Jesus is referencing when he says, love one another as I have loved you. It comes right after this. More evidence, John 13, 12 through 15, when Jesus had washed their feet, he put on his outer clothing. He reclined again at the table and said to them, I'll put it in... Uh, southern language here do y'all get what i just did do you understand what i just did you call me rabbi you call me lord you are speaking rightly shown up that's what i am so if i your lord and teacher have washed your stinky feet you also ought to wash one another's feet for i have given you an example that you also should do as I have done for you. What does that echo? As I have loved you, so love one another. Jesus' act of love was an example for his disciples to do for one another. So the commandment to love one another was to remind them, look, I know y'all get to walk around with the Son of God and that could create a haughtiness in your heart that you get to be Jesus' disciples. Get off your high horse. I just washed your feet. The call of discipleship is not to take any place of authority, but instead to subvert the whole system and put the needs of others before yourself. Church, that is scary. 
That's the life you signed on for. You know that, right? When you accepted the call to follow Jesus and to live for him, that's what you chose for yourself, was that you don't ever get to be number one. That means if you've got a family, you're not number one. If you're a single person in the room, you're not number one in your life. We must put the needs of others ahead of our own. That's scary. Jesus will repeat this command in John 15 and include a foretaste of what is to come. John 15, 12 through 13. This is my command, love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. Isn't that interesting? Jesus takes the same command. Hey, you remember how I washed your feet? Tell you too, it would be crazier. Because if, if somebody were to lay down their life for you, wouldn't that be intense love? Hold that little nugget in your brain. Because <laughs> a little while, I mean, we're, we're, at the, we're at the Passover festival already. Like we're, we're days before Jesus' death here. And so they're going to be remembering the moment Jesus dies on the cross, it's all going to click for them, and they're going to go, oh, Jesus didn't just want us to actually wash each other's feet. He wanted us to be willing to die for those around us. And that gets even scarier, church. Jesus' entire life was the perfect example of what it looks like to love one another. But I think what's even scarier for his disciples is what Jesus says between the foot washing and the command to love one another in the text. The verses right before he says, love one another. Verses 31 through 33. That's why literary context is so important. When, G, when he had left, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified. Speaking of himself, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Jesus is saying, me and God are in this together. Me and the Father. We're going to be glorified in this moment. He says this, little children, I'm with you a little while longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you, where I am going, you cannot come. Now, put yourselves in the shoes of Jesus' followers. You've gotten to walk with the Son of God on the earth. You've listened to his powerful teaching. The text says, the Bible tells us that Jesus had an authority. Even those that didn't believe him knew he taught with authority. You got to sit under and walk with the most powerful rabbi, powerful teacher in the world throughout, Christian history, throughout history. You watched him do crazy, miraculous things. And he's been teaching you that everything you know about the world is actually wrong and it's upside down. And the moment you begin to grasp it, he says, I got to leave. What's your response? Let's go. Right? Let's go. Saddle up, man. Where are we headed? That's Peter's response a little bit later. But Jesus, knowing that they're going to ask that question, addresses it and says, where I am going, you cannot come. Peter's response in just a couple of verses is actually, watch me. Watch me. I'm going to. I'll follow you even to death, Jesus. Of course, Jesus calls him a liar. He says, no, you won't. You're a coward. But this would have been difficult for his disciples to hear this, right? That Jesus, who we've been walking with, we've, we've become best friends with, we know that this is the Messiah. He's now going to leave us. 
How in the world is Jesus going to help them in this? How is he going to how is he going to give them encouragement? How can they find hope in this moment? The very next verse. I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Do you see this in a new light? The command to love one another is not some uh, just call to righteous living. Like, do this because you stink at it. This is something you're going to struggle with, so you need to do this. The call to love one another is, was, was a method of Christ to provide hope and encouragement to his disciples because he was about to leave them. The nucleus of their little cell was about to be gone. And Jesus knew that without that nucleus, the cell would fall apart, but he was encouraging them to stay connected. In the midst of this terrifying truth that the Son of God was about to leave them, this was encouragement. Jesus says, I know it's going to be scary, and I know you will feel alone. I know you'll feel overwhelmed. I know you don't have any idea what you're doing. But you're in this together. You are all just as scared, alone, and overwhelmed as everybody else. Instead of being like that, love one another. The command is the very source of their encouragement. If they are going to make it without Jesus, it will take love from each other. Church, it is helpful to read the Bible within its context, is it not? This command takes on a totally new light when we read what's going on around it. But if we stop there, we still won't truly grasp the depth of these verses because the new command was not only old, it was not only uh, actually um, uh, scary, it was actually universal. It was universal. We have to look at personal context. Look at biblical context, literary context, now personal context. Now Jesus spoke these words. I will not argue this. I'll not argue with you on this. Jesus spoke these words to real people. Like people that he was looking at, people who could reach out and touch him. These disciples were people he had physically been walking and living with. And these words, this command, this encouragement was first and foremost for them. I'll not deny that. They were the ones that he was leaving. They were the ones that would be immediately gripped by his absence. But what I cannot find is any reason in that command that it should not also apply to us. Though I never walked with Jesus, I miss his presence. And I feel overwhelmed and alone and scared. And so do you. And because of that, we need the same command to love one another. There is nothing in this passage that would allow us to, that would make us think. There are verses in the Bible that are, you shouldn't just apply to your life as if they were written for you. But there is nothing in this text that makes us think that it's any different for us now. And here I'll show you, I'll prove it to you if, if you're one that wants to argue with me. Uh, just in case, I prepared a, a statement. Um, Peter, who heard this message, Peter heard this message 2,000 years ago. What did he do with it? He reiterated it to the churches he was helping out. 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, maintain constant love for one another. 
John, who heard his words that day, and many, many others, spread the same command. 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, because love is from God. 1 John 4, 11, Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. What does that sound like? Love as Christ has loved us. 1 John 4, 21, and we have this command from him, Jesus, the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Paul, Paul wasn't there on that day, but he also shared this very command to the churches he wrote to. Galatians 5, 13 ends with this. Don't use freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. To the church at Rome, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. To the church at Corinth, if I speak in human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have a gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, which I would take that, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, check, I'll take that one too. But if I do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. I don't know about you, but it seems to be a consistent theme for Jesus' followers that we are to love one another. And now, just as Moses told the people of God on their way to the promised land, as Jesus said to his followers, as Peter relayed to those learning from him, as John communicated to those he ministered to, as Paul wrote to the churches that he saw started, as countless pastors have spoken and preached before count, more countless believers over the last 2,000 years. Church, we must love one another. The most basic, I believe, you can... You can Maybe I haven't done the research, but I would argue the most basic and repeated command all through the Bible and probably the most preached message is in fact the one thing we stink at the most, loving one another. And notice what Jesus didn't say here. Get along with one another. Tolerate one another and prove that you are my disciples. Hey, don't fight too much and prove that you're my disciples. Just talk about each other behind backs instead of face to face. And so prove that you are my disciples. Have good conversations at church on Sundays and then ignore one another in your thought and prayer life the rest of the week. And so prove that you're my disciples. Church, our Savior and Lord didn't make those statements. Instead, he said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Some of us can't forgive others. It's not love. Some of us really like juicy gossip. It's not love. Some of us come in and do church and go home. That's not love. But listen to me, there's more on the line than just your obedience to Christ. Notice the weight, the weight of the command is not the heaviness of the word love. The weight, is, I believe, is in the part where he says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you and I will love one another, the watching world will take notice. They will know there's something different about this body. And prayerfully, 
And through evangelism, they will hopefully too repent of their sins and turn to our Savior. Church, we've got to do this. And I stand before you as your pastor like I did last week and tell you, I ain't, I'm not always good at it. I'm not always good at this. I struggle too. I can get self-centered. I can be just about my family and say, forget all y'all. I got something going on. But that's not what God has called us to do as believers. It's to love one another. And so God just, as I was writing, uh, just wrote down some things. I just want to, I want to ask you to commit with me. You don't have to say anything out loud, but just in your heart. Lindsay Lanise, do you commit with me to forgive where it is needed? Do you commit with me to start thinking of gossip as it truly is? A terrible sin that goes against the image of God in a human being. Do you commit with me to no longer waste time just sitting here at church and absorbing, but take time to get to know one another and form lasting relationships here? I believe when we do this, when we all do this, we will stand out. Our community will take notice. Our neighbors will see it. They'll walk in these doors and sense that something is different about these weirdos. If there was anything that the early church was known for, it was the way that they loved one another to the point that it was creepy to the outside world. God, I pray we're creepy. I pray people walk in this place and think, man, that's a weird bunch, but they know how to love. I'll be weird in that way. That's okay. I believe if we'll do that even at Walmart, when there's no checkouts open, and you're in a hurry, I believe they'll still see love. So I want to ask you, in what ways are you struggling to love one another? Is there forgiveness that you need to grant? Is there gossip that you need to stop? Is there a, a passion for one another in this room that you need to take on? Whatever the case, that's what this time we're about to take is for. For you to wrestle with, okay? Pastor shared the message. What am I going to do with it? Don't just sing this last song blindly. Like, think on these things. Think on these things. God laid this message on my heart to share with you, and I believe there was purpose. I've gotten text messages from first service people that are dealing with stuff. They told me that message was great for me. I believe God wanted me to share it with you too. And I needed it. So in this, in this last song, the altar is going to be open for you to come and pray for yourself to bring the needs of others here. I'm going to be down front to talk with you about any decisions that you need to make. As I, told, as I, as I said in the first service, y'all, I'm unlovable. Like, that's my wife. She's here. I'm unlovable apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. You are unlovable unless God's Spirit is working in me to love you. Those of us who are believers understand that. We understand that we are broken sinners and we are hard to live with and deal with. 
except that the Holy Spirit helps us love one another. Today, if you've never trusted in Jesus, this message to love one another will be impossible. You may be able to love your family. You may be able to love people that love you. But to love the people in this room that are different from you, have different experiences, walk in a different world than you, you will not be able to do it. However, the Bible says that if we would turn from our sin, the word is repent in the Bible, if we would turn from our sin and place our faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us and was raised again so that we can have new life, the Bible says that God sends His powerful Spirit to live in you. And only then can we love each other the way that we're called to. I would love to share with you how you can experience the presence of God in your life and allow Him to change you and allow Him to help you love one another. There's a lot of other decisions you may want to make. You want to come talk to us about joining this church family. We'd love to explain that process to you. But whatever you need to do during this time, do it. Don't just sing and buy another Sunday and go to lunch. Let's deal with what God has laid before us. Let me pray, and then we'll all stand and respond however we need to. Father, we thank you, God, that uh, though Jesus did leave this earth, um, God, we'll find out later in the story uh, that, he, that the Holy Spirit was coming all along to indwell us and to allow us to feel Christ's presence again. But, God, there was something that he said before that, and that was that we have one another. We need to love one another and so experience peace in the midst of Christ's absence on earth. And Father, I'm, I'm, I'm very guilty of feeling alone, feeling overwhelmed, feeling scared about things in life. But God, we know that, that you've given us each other because I know that everybody in this room at times feels just as alone, just as overwhelmed, and just as scared as I do about life. And if we'll love one another, it's going to be good. Father, I pray that you'd be with us during this time. God, you'd help us to, to offer forgiveness if we're holding, holding that back from anyone else. God, I pray that you'd help us to put an end to gossip in our hearts and our minds and in our mouths. God, that you would allow us to, to just be used for your glory here at Lindsay Lane East and get to know one another on a deep level. Father, forgive me of the sins that... God, you know we're in my heart of God, the things I've committed this week. God, the way I haven't loved others well. Forgive me of those, God. And allow me to stand here ready to take next steps this week in love. We thank you for this opportunity to respond. God, I pray that you would speak through your spirit and lead us to what you need to lead us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, let's stand. You can respond.
Um, we're going to come to do something, as we've said the last couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to take the Lord's Supper today. And uh, that's a big deal. That's a cool thing that we get to do. And if you were like me, um, I was raised in a church that did the Lord's Supper the exact same way every time. And it was super, like, dark and reflective and very personal. But uh, I like to push back against that. And I always say, God, if you give me an opportunity to be a pastor, I want to I wanna show people the text and show them what the Lord's Supper is designed to be, first and foremost. And yes, there is a part of self-examination that needs to occur. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But again, if we take the literary context approach, what we realize is that the sins that Paul is talking about, we need to confess, are not necessarily sins you committed this week against God. They're actually sins you've committed against the people around you. Yes, repent of all the sin in your heart. That's why Paul can say, uh, verse 28, let a person examine himself. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And the context is that there were divisions in the church. There, were, there was bickering. There was fighting. There was uh, the people who were rich um, treating the people who were poor poorly. Like, that's not okay in God's church. And, and he says that if, if you're going to take the Lord's Supper, that's the sins you need to confess before the Lord. Not recognizing that in the body of Christ there are no levels. <laughs> We're all in this together. And so today, um, go on and grab everybody, even if you're not a Christian, go on and grab that, that cup. It should be in the little tray thing in front of you. From the front row, it's underneath your seat. Everybody see that in the little circle thing? Now, here's the deal. What we're going to do is it's for the body. It's for the body of Christ. That means if you've trusted in Jesus and you're following him today, this, this cup and bread that we're going to take together today, it's for you. You take this today with us. Even if you don't call East home, it's okay. There's definitely a, an idea here of a larger body. We invite you to take this with us. You don't have to be a member here. But if you are a member here, recognize that this is talking about the local body. And it's important that we acknowledge that. So go on and do the awkwardness of peeling back that top layer, the clear layer. There will be two tears. It's a clear layer on top, and then there will be the, the, the juice one here in a second. If you totally mess it up, just grab the one beside you and put that one back down. So if you've trusted in Jesus, this is, this is for you today. Let's take this together. In fact, I, I need to take today. And my Bible just shut. So we're going to go from memory here. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Jesus said on the night in which he was betrayed, so that he, he took bread and, and after he had given thanks, he offered it. And he said that this 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 bread represents my broken body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
Jesus concluded his statement by saying, or Paul did, in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, as often as you do this, we're ushering in Christ coming again. And so today, be reminded that we're in this together as a body, and there is a day coming in which Christ will return, and we're going to have a feast like we've never experienced before. Amen. Amen. Uh, Kenny's going to come on up and uh, tell you about some announcements that are coming up. Thank you, guys. You can say, see, just a couple of things you need to know. Wednesday night, uh, we're going to try something different. This Wednesday, we're going to have groups with no tornadoes. Um, we're just going to try that, see if that works a little better than last week. Uh, so come back and see us Wednesday night uh, for groups. Uh, we're going to stay in the buildings that you're assigned. That's going to be neat. Uh, we're not going to have to evacuate. It's going to be a whole thing. Uh, so come this Wednesday. Be a part. Uh, if you want to plug into the church, the easiest way is to plug into a group. Uh, in two weeks, not this, not next Sunday, but the Sunday after September the 5th, Team Gear Sunday. Football's kicking up. Uh, you wear your favorite team gear that day, and we'll give away prizes for the best dressed. Um, and then October the 3rd, don't forget our Give to Go Sunday. Uh, that's for our offering for all of our missions work through the whole year. We're going to take up across three campuses that day only. Um, so if you have offering available for that, just remember to save and bring October the 3rd for our Give to Go Sunday so we can support our missions uh, throughout the year. Last but not least, we have a giving bucket on the way out. You can still text to give, still an online option, and there's still a mailbox at the end of the driveway here uh, that'll take mail. So you're welcome to send it in. Thanks so much for being here. Let's pray. Father God, thank you again for today. God, thank you uh, for the word. God, thank you for us. Man, we need to hear about loving each other. And God, I even thank you for the Lord's Supper, what it means. Uh, and God, I hope we look at our heart, God, and we look at this body of believers and know we can move forward together. And we can make a lot more impact together than we can separate. So just be with us, God. Let us love others well. Let us not leave the same. Uh, and be with us this week. You're now pray. Amen.